If everyone would open up your Bibles, our primary text we will be walking through today will be in Luke chapter 11, though you may want to keep a marker in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 18. We'll be looking at decent sections in there as well. Um, So we're going to be discussing today the subject of prayer. This was at the, at the request of a, a, a few of you, a few members of the church who, who asked us to do a, a section on this. And so I want to take this moment before we get started to let you guys know if you have a specific subject that you want specifically to hear us dig in on on a Wednesday night uh, one month, let us know. We would love to get that on the schedule and dig into the things that, that you guys are wrestling with that you want to hear about or that you want to, to dig in and know more about. But I thought this was a, this was a pretty good request in that uh, even Jesus' own disciples during his own life, as we're going to see in this passage, had this very question. They came up to him specifically asking, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Prayer isn't something that, that, that just comes naturally. It's not just chatting with God the way we would chat with our buddy. That there's, there, biblically, there are instructions. There are things to learn about how we approach God and how we speak to Him, what prayer is, and how that fits into the believer's life. And so this request was brought a, a few months ago. And so I scheduled it out a few months, figuring I'd give myself time while Bradley and, uh, and Pastor Benjamin taught for a few months on some other subjects, and that'd give me time to dig in to everything that the Bible says about prayer, and I'd be ready then to stand up and give a pretty systematic presentation. But as it turns out, the Bible says a lot about prayer. Apparently, our relationship with God is a pretty important theme in here. Uh, no, so today we will not be covering everything that the, I don't have Bradley's skill where he did a whole uh, Romans all in one lesson in 40 minutes. Uh, we won't be covering literally everything that scripture has to say about prayer. Um, but we will, we will be very, going to a very important starting point. And there's a couple reasons for why we're going to focus where we are. And the first of those, um, I was reading through an ancient writing, ancient Christian writing on prayer by one of the early church fathers named Tertullian, and he brought up the very interesting point that our starting point on prayer should be going to the very words of Jesus, because that is the, when we go to what, what Jesus specifically answered this question, how do we pray? teach us to pray. This was God himself from his own mouth telling us, this is how I want you to talk to me. When Jesus, God in the flesh said, hey, this is how I want you to talk to me, that's a pretty good starting point, a pretty good place for us to build a foundation for a biblical doctrine of prayer. But another reason why I want to go here is that in all of Scripture, much of the teaching about prayer is about our corporate prayer life. When we gather together and worship to God, as a people, how we pray together, cry out to God together, petition Him together, thank Him together, worship Him together. But most people, when they ask about prayer, are wanting to know more 
They're, they're wanting discipline and structure and focus and better understanding about their individual prayer life. Once I go home, when I'm not in Bible study or when I'm not in small group, when I'm not here gathered with the church, what does my prayer life look like? And Jesus gives us the clearest, most specific instructions on that exact context of what our individual life of prayer day to day, when we are apart from the rest of the church, looks like. And so there, I thought, would be our best place to, uh, to begin. And so we're going to look primarily at Luke 11, where the disciples asked this very question, but we're going to look at a couple other places where Jesus gave very similar teachings that reinforce and help bring together all that Jesus is saying here about prayer. What is it? What are we doing when we pray? What should our prayer life look like? What should the focus be? And when we're praying to an all-knowing, all-seeing God, what's the point? Why do we even do it when He already knows everything that we're going to say, everything that we're going to do, everything that we need? Jesus gave us these answers. And so that's where we're going to dig in in the next, uh, the next few minutes and take a look. So beginning here in Luke chapter 11 at verse 1. So he, that is Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And so already in this first sentence, a few things to key in on. One, Jesus himself modeled a life of prayer. His disciples saw him praying constantly, and under many other occasions, Jesus would retreat from his disciples and go off alone to pray to God and then meet back up with them. Jesus had this consistent pattern in his life of prayer. He showed us communion with the Father through prayer in his actions, and it was after one of these times Jesus went to a place to pray, and when he was finished, the disciples were like, um, Jesus, we see you do this all the time. Can you teach us to do that? John the Baptist teaches his disciples to pray. Can you teach us to pray like you pray? And so Jesus modeled a life of prayer and communion with the Father through prayer. And it provoked the question. And his disciples asked him, and the first thing that his, the first part of his answer is he said to them, whenever you pray, say. Whenever you pray, say. And then he gives them the model prayer, the famous Lord's Prayer, the Our Father Prayer. But before we even get into the details, there's a few things we need to notice even here. Even here, just a few words in. When you pray, say. Oftentimes today, there is this idea in certain circles of Christianity floating around that our prayer time ought to be spent at least in part in listening and trying to hear a word from God, that, that we should sit silently expecting God to speak to us. That actually isn't what prayer is. Anywhere in Scripture from beginning to end, Every time someone is praying, they are speaking. They are speaking. When we define prayer, when the disciples ask, teach us to pray, what are they asking Jesus to teach them to do? And that is to speak to God, to petition God, 
to talk to God. Prayer is an action that we do, not something we quietly wait for God to do to us. God doesn't pray to us. We pray to Him. When you pray, say. And this is, again, go in Scripture from beginning to end and you will see this consistently. Now, this doesn't mean that God never spoke to anyone in the Bible when they were praying, but when when He did, He interrupted them. They were praying, crying out to Him, and then God would make Himself known. They didn't have to listen quietly and hope maybe they could figure out what… When God speaks, He he could be heard. He never told them to practice any sort of meditation to quietly try to discern some quiet, unhearable voice of God. So this common teaching, even in many evangelical circles, is simply not a biblical perspective on prayer. Prayer is speech. Prayer is action. Prayer is what we do to God. When we want to hear from God, we do what we're doing right now. We go here. We go to the Scriptures where we have the very words of the Holy Spirit living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We have the very voice of God available to us. We go to His words and we hear from Him. Prayer is when we speak to God, when we make our petitions known to God, we make our requests known to God, we praise Him, we thank Him, but most, most specifically we see in Jesus' instructions here and, in, and elsewhere, the primary fo- the focus of prayer is actually us making our petitions known, making our, requ- making our requests to God. And so, we see when, when you pray, say, speak this. this th- these are the things you are to say. And then he gives them a model prayer. And as if to, were to fully understand what Jesus is doing with this model that he presents to him, it's helpful to have a contrast to what other prayers in the ancient world would have looked like so that when Jesus presents His prayer, we can see what He's showing that prayer is not as well as what He's showing that it is. And this is where Matthew 6 comes in. This isn't the only place where Jesus gave the model prayer. Jesus gave this same model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. But the setup is a little bit different. The context is a little different. And so before we dive in, let's look at Matthew chapter 6 at how he sets up the same instruction on what we are to pray. Because in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, Jesus says the same thing, therefore you should pray like this and gives that, uh, that model prayer. But before, if we begin at verse 5, Jesus says, whenever you pray, you must not. So there are things that our prayer should not be. The model prayer is what it should be, but there are things that our prayer should not be, and he contrasts it to how other people in the culture around them would pray. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, this is an important starting point right here in understanding this model prayer, what it's not. This is not something that we do that that is primarily meant as a public display of our faith. 
And in fact, those who would pray publicly so people could see how holy they are were missing the point Jesus was making. Now, does that mean it's never okay to pray in public? No. When we pray together in church, we're not violating Jesus here. When we, when we, if we pray before our meals and we happen to pray at a restaurant with our family, we're not violating this because the motivation in those things is not to draw attention to ourselves. We're not saying, oh man, I'm gonna do this here so that everyone around will see how holy I am. And if you are doing that, that is sin. That attitude needs to be corrected. But Jesus is talking about something particular here. You see, this instruction on prayer is in the middle. He talks about when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. These were the three pieties of ancient Jewish individual religious life. When they worshiped God, their corporate worship was at the temple through sacrifice, at the synagogue through, uh, through times of prayer and reading of the Torah. Their individual life, however, was they would pray, fast, and give. And Jesus shows in each of these cases not to do so in a way that draws attention to you. These things are only pleasing to God if they are done in faith, which in this case as an individual action means done in secret. If I'm the only one who knows I'm praying, then there is no other reason for me to do it than I actually believe God is there listening to it. If I'm the only one who knows I'm praying, if I go away, lock myself in a room, no one else knows I'm there, no one knows why, and I'm quietly praying to God, if that is my regular practice and no one else knows I'm doing it, then there is only one reason that I'm doing it, and that's because I believe God knows I'm doing it. He's there. He hears me. It is an act of faith. The same is true in the rest of the chapter on giving and fasting. And if you want to see that context flushed out more, uh, Pastor Rich preached uh, a sermon on this whole section summed up in one a few years ago, and you can look that up on our website. It's, it solidly covers this idea of righteousness practiced before men versus our private act of, of devotion that is an act purely of faith. But much more key to our purposes here in understanding what that life of faith is going to look like is his second do not. So the first do not is not to make your prayer a show, but instead to make it an act of faith. Your prayer is pleasing to God if you're doing it out of faith. And in that way, you, to do it in secret, the only reason you have left, you don't get anything out of it unless God is really there and is pleased in it. But the second do not, as we continue, when you pray, do not babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. So what is the second way that we are not to pray? Well, so the first crowd that we saw were the hypocrites among religious Jews who used prayer as a pretense for social status they did their prayers publicly. Then he contrasts afterwards, do not be like the Gentiles. Well, what do the Gentiles do? What do the pagans do in praying to their gods? Well, to them, prayer, prayer was a, a mechanism by which you were able to influence the gods. And by your many words, by droning on and on and having 
these excessive and precise prayers, sometimes literally babbling, sometimes it was memorizing words that were nonsense in your own language. There are religions that require you to do this today, to pray in a language you do not know, speaking words you do not understand because there's supposed to be some divine power that you get out of doing so. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Being, and, and being long-winded because you think, if I'm eloquent enough, if I say enough, if, I, if my prayer is profound enough, I can influence God and get what I want, that is that pagan attitude towards prayer, that prayer is a way to manipulate God, to manipulate divine power and conjure it to my advantage. And Jesus specifically says, do not pray like that. Prayer is not a way to bring God in line with our will, nor is it a way to inform God of something He doesn't know. When we make our petitions known to God, we're using that language colloquially. Not, we're not literally making known to God something He didn't know before. It just means we're speaking out loud to God what it is that we need. God already knows, and that's Jesus' answer to the pagan prayer. God already knows what you need, and He's going to take care of you. So you don't need to use your prayer to let God know, hey, God, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm hungry today. I don't know if you realize this, but my, my, my enemies are against me and I need protection. I don't, God, you, you may not be aware there's so much going on up there. It's not that. That isn't, that isn't what prayer is, is about. Christian prayer is speaking to a God who already knows everything you need better than you do before the words ever come out of your mouth. So again, why are we praying to God? Because we trust Him. Because of, it's an act of faith. God is pleased in the expression of our faith. When I pray, I am not telling God to do something he otherwise doesn't know to do or convincing God to do something he otherwise is not inclined to do. I'm not gaining power to persuade God nor knowledge to inform God. What I am doing is acting in faith. God, I trust you to take care of this situation. Whatever happens after this, I am placing it in your hands. And when you take care of me and deliver me in whatever way your infinite wisdom sees best, when you deliver me from the circumstances, I will know that it was you who did it because I prayed, because I called on you, because I put this in your hands. When you deliver me, I will not give credit to any other worldly thing. Prayer is not bringing God in line with our will. It is bringing us in line with God's. It is an act of faith, and it pleases God to answer our prayers so that we will grow in that faith in Him. He wants us to trust Him. And therefore, our prayer doesn't compel God to do anything, and yet God delights to do things that we pray for. He, he wants to answer our prayer when we ask, because when we are trusting in Him over a situation, and God fulfills that trust, it grows that faith and our reliance on Him.
Now that said, if a prayer is in faith, that means we're trusting God whatever his infinite wisdom is. Just as Jesus modeled in the Garden of Gethsemane, our prayers, whether we explicitly say the words or they're implicitly replied, ought to always be with the attitude of nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Ultimately, God, I want you to do what you know is best, but God, I am placing this in your hands and trusting in you. And so it's in this context that in both Luke and Matthew, having told us what not to do, our prayer is not like the pagan prayer. Our prayer is not like the hypocrite's prayer. So then what is our prayer? And he gives this model. He gives this example of what our prayers ought to look like, what sort of things we ought to pray about, how we ought to pray. And universally, the earliest Christians who wrote about this prayer were, were astounded in part at how concise it is. It's so short. It's six petitions. It's just a few simple sentences, and it's done, which is nothing like any of the ancient religions were. And yet, in these six petitions was so much meat that whole books have been written on it over the centuries, even unto today. And so, the prayer in Matthew is, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or in Luke, we have an even more summarized version. When you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Luke's version is shorter, but it's not actually missing anything. Because in each of Matthew's instances, he says the same thing in more than one way. Whereas in Luke's, it just gives the summary point. So, for example, Luke simply says, your kingdom come. Whereas Matthew says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's defining the point. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come? It means that just as God's will is already perfectly done in heaven, that so too would earth come in line with God's will? Would all men repent and turn and obey the very will of God? That just as God's will is done in heaven, it would be done on earth. That is what it will mean for God's king to fully come and be consummated on this earth. And so when we pray, as Luke says, your kingdom come, that means everything that Matthew said. Matthew's version just explains it more. Similarly with uh, bring us not into temptation, or as Matthew says, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the same principle. God doesn't tempt us, 
So it says, bring us not into temptation. Don't bring us into the path of the evil one. Instead, deliver us from the evil one. It's saying the same thing in two ways. So what might a prayer like this look like? Do we just repeat word for word exactly what Jesus said every time we pray? Well, no. It's okay sometimes to pray word for word the model prayer Jesus gave as long as we don't let that become the sort of rote repetition that doesn't mean anything where all of a sudden we're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do by just repeating words and not actually speaking in faith to God. But when we pray these things, Jesus gives us these themes to cry out to God in our own context, in our own way, where we might say, Father in heaven, glorious, great God, may your name be honored in my life, in all that I say and do. May it be honored in my household, by my family. May I lead my children to honor your name. May it be honored in my church. May we live in a way that glorifies your name. And through the proclamation of the gospel, may your name be honored in my community and throughout this world. And in so doing, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May people repent and believe on you and turn from their wicked ways that your kingdom may advance in this world to your great glory, O God. God, we pray that you give us what we need. We trust you with our needs. God, right now, finances are tight. And frankly, I don't know where next month's bills are going to come from, but God, you've taken care of this month's bills, and thank you for that. I trust you. Just give me what I need today, and I leave tomorrow in your hands. God, you know. You know how I messed up today. You know how I lost my temper with my children, how I treated my wife. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Just as I have forgiven them. And God, please, please steer my heart, my mind, my eyes, and my life away from those things that draw me into sin. Deliver me from the evil one that I would walk in your ways and your path to your glory. God, I pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. That's an example of what praying this prayer in my own life often looks like. Something to that effect. That I'm taking the ideas of what, the specific themes of what Jesus said and I'm letting them guide the areas of my life that I need to lay in faith into the hands of God. Trusting him in the material, our daily bread. Trusting him in the moral, forgiveness, and escape from temptation. Trusting him in the spiritual. May his name be honored as, be honored as holy. May his name be sanctified. Hallowed be thy name. His kingdom come. These are the things that ought to be the center core of our prayer. Now, that doesn't mean we can't pray about other things. Jesus gave us this example, not as an ironclad, anything that you can't find in here, you better not say it to God. Uh, but that, that ultimately, this ought to be the center around everything that we're asking God about should orbit. The glory of his name, us coming into line with that, trusting him with our provision, 
trusting him with our walk, our moral walk, our life, our obedience. And around that, we can lay all things in our life into the hands of God. So, continuing in Luke 11, Jesus gives us a further instruction that is important for us to see. He gives us a parable. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up to give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. What's Jesus talking about in this parable? Well, I think there's another similar parable later in Luke that helps shed some further light on it. So you flip over to Luke 18. Luke 18, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, Yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. And both of these parables Jesus is explicitly teaching about persistence in prayer. And he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. So the unjust judge, there's this judge, he doesn't fear God. He doesn't have any, uh, any moral or religious conviction as to why he should help this woman. Nor does he have any respect for man. So he doesn't have any sentimental sympathy or subjective care of why he should help this woman. That he has no motivation whatsoever to help this woman. Yet even this kind of man, when met with a persistent request, will often break and give them what they need. Now, is God that kind of person? No, of course not. Jesus' point is that not that God is like the cold, uncaring judge, but if you pester him enough, he'll give you what you want. What he's saying is that if even that kind of man will respond when you persistently make your petition, bring your petition before him, how much more will God, who loves you and wants what's best for you, how much more will God, who is good, unlike that judge, and who is compassionate, unlike that judge, how much more will God come to the aid of his people who cry out to him day and night? In the same way, the parable of the friend. The friend is already in bed 
And you have to understand, again, context of the ancient world, we have the luxury of having a, a separate room for every member of our family, a separate bed for every member of our family. They, they didn't have that. So they're all piled into one sleeping area. And so the friend comes knocking at the door and he's like, look, my whole family's in bed. I have to get everybody up to get you that. It's too much of a nuisance. I'm sorry, you're my friend, but I'm not going to get up. But because of his persistence at the door, the friend finally does get up and give him what he needs. How much more? How much more will God, who is not in any way burdened by your request, it is not in any way an inconvenience to God to meet your needs, how much more will God rush to your aid? But what are these parables telling us to do? Not to just throw up a prayer once and forget about it and go about our business. Jesus is instructing us to be persistent in our prayer, not to be discouraged if God does not immediately give us what we are asking for. If what we are asking for is righteous and good, let me repeat that part again because it's important. If what we are asking for is righteous and good, God will give it in the proper time. And it is for us to trust him not by being nonchalant about it, but by being persistent, by constantly crying out to him so that when his deliverance comes, again, by faith, we will know it is him. We will know it is his answer to our prayer in whatever way he brings it. It must be constantly before our eyes that it is God we are relying on for our answer, for our deliverance, for our justice, for our needs, for our provision. And so God instructs, Jesus instructed us here, when you pray, pray persistently. God does not always answer right away. That does not mean he does not hear. It does not mean he does not care. And it doesn't automatically mean he said no. Sometimes he has said no. Sometimes what we're asking for is carnal or selfish or unwise or misguided. But if what we're asking for is good and righteous, Jesus tells us, be persistent. Don't give up. Trust that God, much more than any man, will answer your persistent prayer. And so as we, as we run low on time, I'll just conclude as Jesus did in Luke 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Matthew, again, has an echo of this same in Matthew chapter 7, but more generalizes where Luke focuses specifically on giving the Holy Spirit. Matthew speaks, in Matthew, Jesus speaks more generally about giving us what we need, providing for our needs, just as the Father there. The point being, Jesus will, or God will answer our prayers he will give us the good things that we need, that we ask for. Just as any even wicked, sin-sick, sin, fallen, earthly father would still know to do. How much more? And so, what is prayer? 
Prayer is us speaking to God, bringing our petitions to him, asking him for what we need so that we are laying them in his hands to trust. It is a cultivation of faith and reliance on God for all the things in our life. Laying them in God's hands as an act of faith and trust. And when we do it individually in our life, we ought to try to do it in a way that doesn't gain us any benefit, even in the eyes of men of, oh, look at how spiritual he is. He's always praying. But in a way that cultivates in ourselves a reliance fully on God. God, I'm doing this only because I believe in you. I believe you're here. I believe you hear me. Prayer is about faith. It's about trust. And God is eager and delights to answer.